When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ooh, you didn't tell me you were a brainiac. Welcome, welcome, welcome into Leather Brains, your host here, Slap Dog. And welcome to the end of week 10. Welcome into Leather Brains. It is, like I said, the end of week 10, and I am joined here today to discuss everything that happened this last week for both fantasy and NFL purposes with my two very good friends, Scotty Del Rey and Alan Casanova Castro. Gentlemen, your team was on by this week. How did you fare? How did you survive? Oh, you want to talk about this right now? No, well, not like seriously. I just kind of was oh, taking a peek Christ. into what you guys did this weekend because oh well, we we won was... we won the NFL this week okay. without even playing. This? I, I think we're doing this right now. Bye weeks. Oh, we're not getting into this right now. We'll save it. Save this. <laughs> bye weeks. Bye weeks are kind of nice. You just turn into full hater. That's all it is. Like you're not celebrating anything. You're just hating on everybody. You're like rooting for teams you don't normally root for. You're just like all over the place hating on your whole division, your whole conference. That's all it was. So pretty much that's all it was. Just, just a hater all fest. Sunday. Yeah, just miserable. Hating. Just hating. No, no, it was. It's kind of hating fun. goes really well when the hating works, and it did. So we were well, ecstatic. I was excited I watching football all week. It was there were some good games, and I like. I'm very obviously we're doing a podcast. We're going to get into that, but uh, so many good games, so many good conversational pieces. There is a lot to discuss today. So everybody who's joined us, welcome aboard. Do me a huge favor. Before we get into the meat of this episode, hit the subscribe button, man. It truly does mean the world. If you are listening on a podcast, YouTube, wherever you're at, hit the follow, hit the subscribe. It means the world to a small podcast such as ourselves. Let's start things out with the MVP of the week. Yeah, the Leather Brains MVP of the week, which, by the way, is brought to you by Prime Society, luxury leather bags, backpacks, and accessories. So before we get into the MVP, you should join uh, elite athletes like Tyreek Hill and Clay Thompson by checking out primesociety.com and shopping their luxury bags, luggage, and accessories. Whether you're looking for the perfect high-quality Christmas gift that won't break the bank or you want to turn heads with the swagger of a pro athlete, Prime Society is the answer. Your fantasy MVP helped you secure the bag in your league, so make sure you secure the bag with primesociety.com. Use promo code LBZ20 to get 20% off your order today. Again, LBZ20 to get 20% off your order today at primesociety.com. And now, your Leather Brains MVP of the week is, of course, Keenan Allen. He went uh, received 11 balls out of 14 attempts, 175 yards, two touchdowns, 40.5 PPR points. He's the number two wide receiver uh, on the year for fantasy purposes, which, by the way, Yeti and I talked about all offseason, so make sure you tune into Leather Brains to get uh, that information. But Keenan Allen killed it, like usual. 
Did you did you hear him get the receipts out there for that? Did you hear him, this Alan? Is, this is this is like when he made himself the stud of the week last week. This yeah, no, you no, it's just no. if you I, I was not inch. the stud of the week. <laughs> well, in bipartisan, you, you made yourself stud of the week. Yeah, you, yeah, you Trojan, Trojan horsed your way into stud of the week, and uh, you kind of just made yourself the MVP of the week a little bit too. So congratulations <laughs> to you, I guess, and not Keenan Allen. Marketing genius. I'm the I'm the MVP of the week <laughs> for that, several reasons. <laughs> is that yeah. what it is? Put him well, on the here's the. I, I will admit this. The season is not over yet, but I have been wrong thus far. So you and Yeti were both on the, in the camp that Keenan Allen was going to finish as a top 10 wide receiver, and I was not. And so far, that has uh, been very heavily in not in my favor for this. So congratulations to you both, and congratulations to Keenan Allen. MVP of the week certainly deserves it. He was absolutely electric this last week for both NFL and, of course, fantasy football. So... Let's let's uh, let's kick things off. God, I'm so nice, good at this nice. with studs and duds. Scotty, take us away. Yeah, we got to talk about kickers because I threw a little bit of shade last week at kickers uh, when uh, what's his name Agunbowale uh, is that how you pronounce it? He made that field goal and I said, "Oh, anybody can do this. We don't need kickers." And then kickers decided to say, "Fuck you, Matt. We're going to win." Five games this week, which is an NFL record, by the way. Five games decided with walk-off field goals. So uh, maybe I'm the dud of the week uh, this week because kickers really stuck it to me. Damn, they did. And I honestly, though, I would have preferred Dare Ogumbawale. I killed it right there. Uh, I would have preferred him to be the kicker to kick that game-winning field goal. So I was a little disappointed they signed somebody. But uh, kickers were certainly, uh, they were kicking. Kickers kick, baby. And that's what they did. Alan, what about you? <clears throat> My stud of the week, it's like a triple-layered stud of the week. Uh, first goes to Josh Dobbs. Uh, shout out. The passion on. Yeah. Just killing it again, giving a lot of life to the Vikings. I think if you pulled the Vikings fans weeks ago, they would have said, it's over, mail it in. Jefferson goes on IR. You got Cousins tearing his Achilles. It's over. So shout out to Dobbs. But really what my stud is is a video that's circulated out there. And it, Josh Dobbs uh, posted it on his TikTok and retweeted it on Twitter. But it was uh, a guy that's singing Creed. He's singing higher. And it's over this highlight of Joshua Dobbs running into the end zone. And this guy's like, can you take me higher? And I love Creed. Um, shout out to Creed going on tour. Go shout out to Creed. Creed. But, <laughs> big uh, shout out to Creed. They're big fans. Creed. Big, big Creed fans on this podcast. They are on tour. No joke. Uh, But anyways, so my stud is that video. And then Josh Dobbs having the awareness about himself to post it. Just lean into it. He knows people are all over him. He knows he's playing well. So shout out to Josh Dobbs and the guy singing Creed and that video. Mm. Who needs eyebrows, bro? Uh, I mean, I don't. Uh, but it was cool. I, I did see that hilarious. And I like how Creed is kind of taking its own form in the NFL. Like it's like the Vikings and Creed are just like synonymous with each other right now. And I, I did laugh at that video and I thought it was really, really great. Let's pivot over to Scotty again. Yep. Dud of the week. This is depressing. Jahan Dotson coming off of two awesome weeks. We thought maybe he's climbing back into relevance and then he puts up a big old fat goose egg this week. And this this was a real test for him. I talked about this in the starts of the week, and unfortunately I was completely and totally wrong about that. But Jahan Dotson, with those two weeks in a row, a lot of people were saying, okay, maybe it's because there are some other weapons on this team that were out for the last two weeks. Jahan Dotson was just filling that role. And I was kind of taking the stance that, okay, they're figuring out what a weapon Jahan Dotson is. So this was a test week uh, because everyone was healthy in the lineup, and Jahan Dotson got zero catches 
which uh, means I am officially off the Jahan Dotson train for the rest of the season. Um, it wow. is it is unfortunate, but if I've got yep. him, there is no chance I am plugging him in. I think you stay. You stay. This is why people listen to Leather Brains. Matt will give you Keenan Allen, but then he'll also give you Jahan Dotson. Just totally even you out. So you're just like eh. There's pros and cons. Yeah, you right. never know if you can trust anything I say. That's that's what I want you to leave here thinking. You got to You got to sift through. Find the gold. <laughs> Does it make you sad? I, I know that we're doing studs and duds, but like you've been pretty high on Jahan Dotson since preseason, and with a good argument, but it hasn't panned out for him this year. Does this kind of make you a little sad? It, it does make me sad, and it especially it's like salt in the wound when you see how awesome Sam Howell is doing. I mean, he is just out there slinging it. He's leading the league right now in passing yards, um, and Jahan Dotson's just not benefiting from that at all. And on this particular game, Scary Terry also didn't really benefit it, uh, from it. I think he had like 30 yards receiving, so it was kind of a dud week for him too. But seeing Jahan Dotson get zero catches, man, uh, given I think Sam Howell threw for over 300 yards, and Brian Robinson was the was the top receiver on the yeah, team, yes, which sir. is uh, it's just devastating. So. Uh, yeah, I am very sad. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm going to try and brighten the mood up a little bit with my stud of the week. That being Jadea Walker, who is a wide receiver for Texas A&M. This is not an NFL post or conversation, but the reason I bring this up as a stud of the week, if you have not seen the clip yet, I highly suggest you go check it out. He is, I don't know how he's doing it, but he's like moonwalking or like, it looks like he's skating on ice after he gets, a, it's part of his touchdown celebration. He's running back to the sideline. Looks like he's skating on ice, but he's wearing cleats on a football field. It was very, very impressive. And I, I saw that and thought there's nobody else that deserves the stud <clears> of the week, but Jadea Walker for, uh, for skating and not walking I back to the sideline. I yeah, think they if call watching it gliding? NFL football. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Gliding's probably was, a fair assessment. I think they say they call it gliding. It might be. It looks like he's like up. almost floating. Yeah, we'll do some more research on that. But I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised when I saw this. I was like, damn, that's pretty cool. So, stud of the week, Jadea Walker, Texas A&M wide receiver, and congrats on the touchdown. Mm. Why don't you bring us your dud there, Alan? Uh, my dud was the Ravens. They were going to be my stud because of how they were playing to start that game against the Browns, and then they turn into a freaking dud. So they're my dud of the week on how they finished finishing. Ravens finishing is my dud, I guess, if you're going to categorize it. So it's a little tough yeah. for them. But, yeah, they just totally shit the bed to end that game. They're, they weren't executing. They were throwing picks. It's like I was ready to say this is definitively the best team in the NFL. Like they are playing the absolute best. And to start that game, they look like it. But then it was just like you got to put two halves of football together. I mean, this this Browns team beat the 49ers. They're definitely capable of doing it. They have the roster to win, um, and they just let them, they let them off the mat. So they were my dud. Second half Ravens were my dud. Let's just talk. Like I know that we're just, <laughs> we're gonna segue this for just a moment because we are, we don't really have a lot of Browns Ravens conversation teed up for today's show. That game, I think, is there's some implications there, right? I mean, obviously the Ravens are looking really, really good this year, but can we write off the Browns? I mean, we know that they have a really good defense, but they they were able to to get a dub against a very formidable opponent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I you look the, at that the, division overall. Oh, sorry, I must have ahead, cut Al. out. Did I cut out, Matt? Yep. Yeah, you're good. Go ahead. Okay, sorry. Great live entertainment. No, I was just going to say, if you look at that division <laughs> overall, I mean, the the Bengals, as hot as they were, they're still in last. Yeah. No, they are. I mean, the Steelers are above them right now. So, like... This week didn't help, and I know we're going to talk about that at quite a quite a bit of length there. But the Ravens that that was a tough loss for them, and and 
I think it showcased that any given Sunday, and I also think more than anything else, it showcased that the Browns are actually a half-decent team. Yeah, and I think the Ravens have lost, or all the games that they've lost, which I'm looking up what their record is, but all the games that they've lost so far were uh, games where they were leading in the fourth quarter and blew it at the end of the game. Like, this is kind of becoming a thing with them. They really got to learn how to finish. Um, I still think they're one of the best Me teams too. in the league, but they've <laughs> they've they've got to learn how to close out games for sure. I could not agree with you more. My dud of the week is Christian McCaffrey's touchdown streak because it has now been broken. He was going for a 17, it was 17 or 18 game touchdown streak in every single game that he has played. He was getting close. He uh, at the towards the end of the game, 49ers were up quite a bit and they were still feeding Christian McCaffrey. And then it came to be known that Kyle Shanahan was trying to help Christian McCaffrey get that touchdown streak. And he would have like broke the NFL record for continuous touchdown streak, which is cool. And it was cool that Kyle Shanahan tried to let him do it. But Christian McCaffrey is a pussy ass bitch and didn't get it done. And he broke a streak. So he's my dud of the week. I will say that it's interesting to see from a fantasy perspective, like the the difference in coaching, where you, you look at someone like Arthur Smith, who fantasy managers want to strangle with their bare hands, and then you look at Kyle Shanahan, who's like, I am going to do everything I can to make this man uh, perform for fantasy, and I appreciate that. Well, I think the other thing to look at, too, is like more. I don't think it was necessarily fantasy invoked, but oh, he sure wanted he wanted to get Christian McCaffrey that record, which like you see some coaches that will do that, and you see some that don't. And I think what's really cool is... The coaches that do, and especially when it's somebody like Christian McCaffrey, who is a a focal point for that offense, like you want to get him a record, you want to help him get there, and you also want to keep him happy. So I think it kind of coincides in that way, where it's like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try our very best to to get you that record because we want you to be happy, so we can continue to win games. And also, I, I just think coaches should try and do that more often because I do think it's cool. Hmm. Let's move over to the game of the week, gentlemen. We have decided that the game of the week this week is going to be the Texans-Bengals game, very obviously. That game was absolutely electric. I don't think anybody saw the Texans winning this game, and C.J. Stroud, is uh, he seems to be legit. He had another 350-yard passing game, led another game-winning drive against the Bengals, who a lot of people had it as Super Bowl favorites, and maybe that's diminishing. What do you guys think about that with the Bengals? Are the Texans legit? Where do you guys want to start with this? Because there's a lot to unpack. We can start with talking shit on the Bengals. I, I can appreciate that. Um, the the Bengals are obviously a very good team coming out with a slow start. Um, as we talked about last week, um, you know, people were we were saying the Bengals are back, the Bengals are back, but we still haven't really seen them put it together for a long stretch. And so I still think, you know, Joe Burrow played great. The Bengals had two receivers with over 100 yards. Uh, they did all this without T. Higgins. Um, so I still think the Bengals are, are a solid team. But C.J. Stroud is the real story here. Yeah, I think uh, a, a, a few things. I mean, so I actually listened to this game, which shout out to those that are like me that like listening to football games. I still think it's a great way to um, enjoy football. I love just kind of like visualizing and you get all the 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 live feedback from the announcers and not this weird voiceover shit that you get from like Greg Olson or Tony Romo. Um, you be nice. Tech. Tony Romo's a piece of shit, but I do like <laughs> Greg Olson. It's a, it's a, so it's a good voiceover. So I was listening to this game and I thought it was interesting. You know, the Bengals came out right away. First possession, boom, touchdown. You're like, here we go. Bengals are still on fire. fire. Burrow looked good. One thing I will point out from a fantasy perspective that I think it's, it is super interesting is the Bengals are making more of a concerted effort to target their tight ends. It, it started last week with the Bills. It's continue, it continued this week, I think. Um, was it Hudson for the Bengals had five receptions in the very first drive? Now, their whole offense went cold after that. But 
there's a very concerted effort to give their tight ends the ball, which I figured thought was super interesting, considered all the other weapons. Now, Jamar Chase did end up getting his. I think a lot of that was just because of game flow. They were behind. They had to push the ball, and they started to, and they woke up. They woke up at the third and fourth quarter finally to like pull to to make this a game because it was for all intents and purposes it was over. Like it shouldn't have even come down to the last field goal. Stroud did throw a late pick, which allowed the Bengals to kind of come back into the game and and make it a one possession game like it did. Um, but I was I was more impressed with the Texans. I'm not as worried about the Bengals. I think the only thing that's interesting for the Bengals is that they're in the AFC. They're five and four. They have a tough stretch still still upcoming. They got through the 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 Bills, but it's just it's going to be tough for them to to make a playoff push now. But I think this is more of just like a letdown game. They you know they beat down the Bills last week. They were very confident. They felt confident. That first drive felt confident. Then they just kind of let their foot off the gas. I still think they're super dangerous team i think the texans are just like more dangerous now than we had previously thought and i saw a meme where it was chiefs fans like watching it was like a guy smiling watching the texans beat the Bengals, and then it was a serious face when it was like oh wait we might have to play cj stroud and the texans <laughs> in the playoffs so it was kind of like it was the tale of two two things happening all at once but um it was a super interesting game but i think for fantasy purposes my takeaway was like how much the Bengals were truly like also featuring their tight ends which is interesting when you're looking at plugging and playing mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And I think there's a couple different narratives that could be spun there. I don't know which one's going to hold the most ground, but T. Higgins was not playing. So you're missing a wide receiver 1B for this team. You have Jamar Chase, of course. But um, this offense has, has really for a large portion of the year, there's been spot games where they've looked great. But overall, this offense hasn't looked incredible. Joe Burrow's health has been a, a question throughout the entire season. And now... You like you mentioned, the tight ends are getting more involved. Perhaps that's because like they're not really utilizing. They're they're, u- they're trying to to throw long balls. Like that's what they they have been trying to do all season long. So when you're getting these tight ends involved, they're they're a shorter route. They're a little bit easier to get the ball into their hands and let the let your playmakers make plays. Perhaps that's why we're seeing that is because they really haven't utilized that. They're not running the ball very effectively with Joe Mixon. So what are they going to do? They're going to try and u- utilize the flats, utilize you know th- those quick routes with the tight end. And I think that might be why we're seeing some of that transition to that, which I think is smart for the Bengals because they didn't have one of their top wide receivers and their other wide receiver is going to get blanket coverage from the best two DBs. So perhaps that's why I think that that probably holds some ground, but the Bengals really are on shaky. They're on shaky ground recently. And, and I mean, you mentioned they have a really, really difficult upcoming schedule. Is there a world in which they miss the playoffs in your mind? Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd say it given given the AFC North, uh, it is li- I I don't want to say likely, but it seems likely that they might miss the playoffs. I mean, um, you know the Ravens and the Browns are they're both legitimate contenders at this point in time. So it's it's a real tough division. So they got their work cut out for them. I I think Thursday night we find out if they make the playoffs or not. I think if they go into Baltimore Thursday night, they got the Thursday night game. If they can beat Baltimore. I think that's more the likelihood is way higher now. Um, but I think if they on a short week go into Baltimore and struggle again and lose, I think it's pretty bleak. Now their end of the season, they do get to play the Steelers twice. They get the Vikings, so there is some winnable games in there for them. But they do have to go to Kansas City. They do have the Browns. You know, divisional games you just never know. And they have the Jaguars. So there's it's shaky. Like I, I would be a little bit concerned. I think that calf injury that. It's might come back to haunt them. You know, they're playing really well. I don't think anybody wants to play the Bengals. It's not like they're like, oh, they're not very good. I think it's just 
in the NFL, it's hard to win. And if you're not, if you can't put together a good stretch, if you can't get on top of some of these things early, it becomes very, very difficult because you don't know who's lurking. Like nobody, I don't think anybody predicted the Ravens necessarily to be as dominant as they are, but you know, their whole, their whole division is tough now. Yeah. Well, let's, let's pivot this conversation over to the other side of the ball here. I know we've kind of talked about the Texans and we've talked about CJ Stroud and his statistics, but Let's talk about him in the MVP race very quickly here. It, over these last few weeks, C.J. Stroud has lit the NFL world on fire. Rightly so. He's doing incredible. In your eyes, has he now entered a legitimate conversational piece for the MVP race? Because I know SportsCenter and ESPN and all those other places are, are making that argument. We're leather brains and we're a lot better than they are. So let's dig into this. Should he uh, yeah. be an MVP candidate? He 100% should be an MVP candidate. And I think maybe the bigger storyline with this conversation is, does he have Rookie of the Year completely locked up? Like, is there anything he can do to lose Rookie of the Year at this point? And I think he's pretty much got Rookie of the Year locked up, and there is a very good shot if he keeps performing like that. We have to remember, this Texans team has been very bad (laughs) over the last few years. I mean, he's coming out here with rookie weapons and making this team look like they've been in contention for years. Um, so if this continues, I mean, we're only halfway through the season, so there's a lot of time for things to change, but if this continues, uh, I, there's no way that you can't honestly consider him a legitimate MVP candidate. I would agree. I think you look at what his touchdown interception ratio is right now, which is 15 and two. He just threw his second interception, like I said, in this game when they were trying to ice it, which good learning moment. But he's protecting the ball. He's pushing the ball. He only has well, he has two games this year where he was under 200 yards passing. One of those was barely, and he threw two touchdowns in that game. Other than that, he's been over 200. He's He threw for 470 last week, 356 this week. He is finding his groove. I think he has to be. I think – this is what kind of frustrates me with the NFL. And I'm saying this as a Mahomes Chiefs fan, is that the NFL, the writers, everybody locks into certain narratives that they want to be true. And it's hard to shake them out of that. And I think Stroud is one of those people that could shake that up. And you're going to say, like, wait, he is actually probably the most valuable player. Like, he is, and he has to continue to do this, which I don't know if he can. Um, but as of right now, I think he 100% deserves to be in that conversation. And he, I, you know, rookie offensive rookie of the year like for sure 100 percent. i think there are just he's playing too well he has this team playing too well i yeah i i tend to i mean offensive player that a rookie of the year an offensive rookie of the year i think is certainly um almost a guaranteed lock at this point unless you know maybe puka nakua comes out and breaks the world again but uh it, it's what's crazy to me is that he is a legitimate mvp contender already as a rookie I don't know. I don't know how this in my mental framework is not very great. So understand that. But I don't know how I, I don't get how you can give him that. And the reason being is because you look at like some like someone like Patrick Mahomes. Like if you took C and this is my argument is I still think Patrick Mahomes is is probably the leading MVP candidate in my mind. And that's coming from someone who very clearly is not a Chiefs fan. You If you took CJ Stroud and you put him on on the Chiefs offense, I actually think that the Chiefs would be a lot worse. And that's not to that's not indicative of or indicative of CJ Stroud's ability. That's indicative of how good Patrick Mahomes is and how bad I think your supporting <sighs> cast is around Patrick Mahomes. That's my take on it. I, I still think CJ Stroud should be in that conversation, but I don't know how 
you look at Patrick Mahomes and the lack of offense around him and say that he still doesn't deserve this because he if you took Patrick Mahomes and plucked him out of that offense, that is probably the worst offense in the NFL. I agree. And you have a lot of historical context. And that's what I was saying. It's it's tough because you have to look at each season in a vacuum. Yeah. And it's hard to do that because you know about these players. Like you know how good they can be. You know their propensity. You know where they're going to be. And it's like if you look at it and you just took this and put it in a just one little vacuum and said, how are players playing this year? And you look at what he's doing with this Texans team and what they were projected to do and everything. And so obviously it's a long road. Like they're not handing out the trophy right now, I don't think. And so if he continues to play at this trajectory and like, let's say you extrapolate all his stats out in the way they're winning, I think if a lot of these quarterbacks, and this is a theme across the NFL, because, you know, we've talked about it, like uh, he, Sam Howell and, and CJ are like one and two um in passing was it passer rating or passing yards it or was passing a lot yards of, yeah and if you look at what we just talked about a lot of these offenses are struggling and it you i don't think you can really find one offense in the nfl and say like hey they haven't figured out like there's no stopping them there's you look at josh allen you look at joe burrow you look at mahomes you look at tua it, it, as great as even Tua is playing like they've sputtered and it's I think it's opened the door for these. I think if any one of those guys actually kick it up at the end, it's gonna, it's not going to be possible. But it, for the inconsistencies we see across the NFL, I think Stroud's been one that's like, hey, he's been fairly fucking consistent. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, and consistently if, good. If he yeah. ends the season, you know, averaging, you know, right around 300 yards passing, you know, because obviously there were a couple games where he was, he was well below that. But as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, he's definitely capable of doing that we have to start asking ourselves, and this is the kind of the greater context of the MVP conversation. CJ Stroud, if he continues on this route, might be one of the best rookie quarterbacks ever in NFL history. And that's so, where you start talking about MVP, where you can get that have, narrative and you can say, you know, he he's the best that's ever done it in this position. Back you up. I'm going to back you up there, Scotty. I have a stat here that I wanted to read um, on CJ Stroud. So this is from Ian Rappaport. By the way, give shout out where shout, shout outs are due. Out I did not call. Rap I did not baby. cultivate this stat myself. I have two kids and a job, and I got shit going on. You have so sources, to, and your sources yeah, provided have, you this stat. So Ian Rappaport texted me this, as far as you all know, <laughs> and he said, "The last time a rookie led the NFL in passing yards per game was in 1939. Is Davy O'Brien, C.J. Stroud, <laughs> C.J. Stroud? Well, he's got a award named after him. Um, C.J. Stroud is uh, leading NFL right now through nine games at." Uh, 291.8 yards per game and if he continues on this path he could be only the second rookie in nfl history and the first since 1939 so since like sliced bread was invented he's the only rookie to lead (laughs) he could do it you know and so what you know what matt's saying is like the greatest season like i i don't think people fully realize that i think it's hey he's playing really well hey he's got like no he's playing like light years ahead of a lot of rookies and oh, yeah. i think it's something we got to um uh you know pay attention to so i guess my stud of the year i guess is me since matt gets to do it i know i picked him <laughs> up in a bunch of leagues i wanted cj stroud so shout out me yeah, big yeah shout out you. the other i mean again i i said it already but we're talking about him having this you know historic season with the texans right this he's already got a better record with the texans than they've had since 2016. i mean this is a team that has been abysmal over the last several years and he is doing this on the texans they went to the playoffs recently <laughs> playoffs so one one question for you before we before we transition to our to our next topics um because you know you're i was watching the game last night and i texted you guys the justin herbert 
So you're an NFL GM, and I know this this is a difficult question because there's a lot of nuance to it and a lot of who's getting support and who's not. You get to start an NFL team right now, and they said you get two choices. You can either start with C.J. Stroud right now with what you know, or you can start with Justin Herbert. Is that a difficult oh. decision for you at all yet, or are you still no. taking Herbert night and day, just or just 100 no, times I'm, out I'm, of 100? No, I'm taking C.J. Stroud. Okay. I'm taking C.J. Stroud, and the reason being is because you have to pay Justin Herbert now. Like that's right. where you're at, and so you got to pay this young man the big bucks. And I'm not saying Justin Herbert's a bad quarterback. I think there's a there's a whole narrative there as far as is it coaching, is it him? He's won half the games, he's lost half the. I mean, there's there's a lot of conversational pieces. But at the end of the day, if I was a GM or a head coach and I was looking for a new home, the Texans are really juicy right now. Not only do they not they have a this quarterback is on a rookie contract. He's balling and you don't ever get I mean obviously 1939 was the last time we had a rookie doing that as a quarterback so yeah it doesn't happen and the Texans look good like the Texans don't the Texans are not going to the Super Bowl but what they're doing is they're installing some narrative into people that you should come here this is why you should come here we can build around this guy we don't have to pay him 400 million dollars like all the other quarterbacks right now we can do this. And it's kind mm-hmm. of, you, you saw that with Joe Burrow a little bit. Obviously, the situation was different because they were drafting young, talented wide receivers like Higgins and Chase, but you build around him. You, this is this is where you look at as a, as a team or a GM, you sit there and you say, this this is it. This is the moment where we invest in our team and our quarterback and you, you start making those pushes to try and make yep. yourself a contender. And I think that is very, very enticing. What you see on the Chargers side of things is the complete opposite. You see Justin Herbert, who is now going to have to get paid, and that sucks up a lot of cap space. Both of your talented wide receivers are aging assets that struggle to stay healthy. We're seeing it already. Mike Williams is out for the season. Keenan Allen is week to week, typically, with some sort of injury that he has. So, And then Austin Eckler, their running back, with their star of their offense at this point. What's his future look like? So the future for the Chargers looks pretty bleak, on top of the fact that Brandon Staley is a freaking goob and probably should not be the head coach there any longer. So, yeah, I'd be, I, I think the Texans are in a much more favorable situation, and I'd be taking C.J. Stroud for it's that crazy. than Justin Herbert. It's crazy. It's think inter- about a f- – oh, go, go, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, you touched on something there, uh, Hunter, that was interesting, where you're comparing him to Joe Burrow and the Bengals and them acquiring those young weapons. And that's exactly what we're seeing out of the Mm -hmm. Texans right now. With C.J. Stroud, you got Tank Dell, you got Noah Brown. Like These young guys are coming in and lighting the league on fire. I think the comparison to the Bengals makes a lot of sense. I think in us having this conversation, you can't, forget D'Amico Ryans and all of this and and what an outstanding job he has done for this Texans organization so while we want to sit there and say CJ Stroud for MVP I'm here for that conversation I think it's a fair conversation but I also want to give a big shout out to D'Amico Ryans because you could be with a subpar coach and as of right now he's getting it done with people who nobody expected the Texans to do anything this year Everybody yep. expected the Texans to be a lackluster team, just like they've always been, and maybe they have their future quarterback. What's even crazier is they C.J. Stroud was the worst quarterback in this draft between the top three. You had Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson. C.J. Stroud was the one nobody was really super interested in. He didn't test well. I'm, I, that matters yeah, right didn't. now, doesn't it? Like He, he didn't test well. That's so that why was the draft one of the is that so dumb. Yeah, it's it's silly. And so he didn't test well was one of the reasons. And then not only did they grab C.J. Stroud, but then they traded their first overall pick for this upcoming year to the 
the Cardinals sold theirs, and then they picked up an offensive lineman as well. So that was a really bold move, and you're like, what the hell are the Texans doing? Very obviously, I think they knew what they were doing. And D'Amico Ryans, you have to tip your hat to him and, and the success that he's found with this team because nobody expected this. So Yeah, and just, I, and just one last piece here before we move on. Uh, I know we spent a lot of time on this, but I think we also need to have a conversation about Bryce Young because he's getting a lot of hate right now. People are saying, oh, you know, look what C.J. Stroud is doing. But you know, when you look at the makeup of the Texans offense and these young weapons that they have, Bryce Young doesn't have any of that. Like he he is pretty much set up for failure in this season. Um, and I don't think he's necessarily gotten a fair shake. I don't think it's I think it's too early to judge Bryce Young, especially when you compare him to someone like CJ Stroud, who's breaking records left and right and maybe the best rookie quarterback of all time. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there, tip my hat to Bryce Young and say, hey, just keep chugging, man. I think I think there's a chance he could find some success later on, too. Perhaps, but uh, the Panthers, they did not set him up for success either at all. And their O-line is not great. They traded their only real asset in DJ Moore. Like They they haven't really done much to to try and help that young man. And I think the unfortunate reality is it's going to be a bleak road ahead for him for a while because they traded away a lot of draft capital to get him. And so far, it hasn't worked out in their favor in that way. So they could have not done that and still potentially had C.J. Stroud on a much cheaper alternative. You know what I mean? So, I I don't know. I I feel bad for them. I feel bad for Bryce Young. I don't feel bad for the Panthers. I think it was a boneheaded move, and they very clearly lost that trade. But, uh, all right, let's move over, and let's let's talk about the Jaguars for a moment because we're talking about the AFC South. We're talking about the the Texans, and and I got to have a conversation about the Jaguars. Are they not the top contender in the AFC South anymore is my question to you boys because they they're <laughs> you look at what they've done they're currently leading at the moment with 6 and 3 and they're right in front of the Texans who are now 5 and 4. The Jaguars wins. They beat the Colts twice, they beat the Falcons, Saints and Steelers, but they lost pretty handily to the Texans 37 to 17. They got their ass kicked by the 49ers, and they lost to the Chiefs. I think it was 19-7 was the score. So uh, are the Jaguars frauds? Are they trash? Are they not? That, while they currently are leading the AFC South, do we picture that to change by the end of the season? I have a couple of things, and I wanted to talk about this with the last one we were talking about, the the Texans' surgeons, but it's applicable here, obviously, because since we're still in the AFC South, and it says, as an L- as an NFL fan, you have to be careful thinking your team is just going to get better and better each year. That my team has it figured out. Look at all these weapons we have. We got it. We just have to do this one thing and it'll be good. The NFL is built so that these teams can rise up and be competitive or have the great players or knock you off your pedestal. And I think very clearly, I think you're seeing that too with this division where the Jaguars, if you coming in off of last year's performance, you know, won a playoff game, beat the Chargers, coming into this year, like, all right, They're going to put it all together. They got it. They have all the weapons. But what you don't account for is the changing landscape of the teams around you. Nobody ever does. And that's where, like, as an NFL fan, you never know how long your team's going to be in that spotlight, in that light of, hey, we're the best. We got it figured out. You look at the Bills. You look at the Bengals this year. Now, the Bengals have, I feel like, they're just injury prone. But even if you look at somebody like the Bills, you're like, okay, is that window closed? Yeah. Is that window closing very rapidly for them? And I think for the Jaguars, now you're even in your own division. You're like, oh, shit. Like, I don't even know if we have the best quarterback anymore. And there's one stat I wanted to read to you because I know you know how much you guys love stats. So C.J. Stroud has exceeded 335 passing yards in back-to-back games. Trevor Lawrence has exceeded 335 passing yards just once in his 43-game career. He needs a haircut. 
It's that that L'Oreal's getting all caught up in his helmet and his hair's all frizzly. <laughs> I I've never been a fan of of Sarah Jessica Parker. He's QB eighteen on the season for fantasy football. Uh, which is a far cry from where everybody had him for fantasy. He was a top 10 quarterback in fantasy football. He was going to lead the league by storm with him and Calvin Ridley. And and we haven't seen any of it. Realistically, Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, has not looked good. And I believe that is the true Trevor Lawrence. I believe we are, we have made excuses for him for a little while. You know, we had his coaching. It's, oh, he, he had the whole coaching misfit where he was getting kicked by his coach and he was bullied and his coach got fired. His coach was hooking up with teens at a bar, like all this other <laughs> shit that was going on. So it was like, it's not Trevor Lawrence's fault. It's his rookie year. I get that. I understand he was a rookie. You got to figure it out. That takes time. And then we saw last year, Dougie P and him started to click at the end of the season. And they're like, oh, this is exciting. And a lot of Jaguars fans are like, this is this is what we're going to get. This is this is. This is here to stay, and it's it's not. And I don't think Trevor Lawrence is that great. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think this team, weapons wise, is bad. I think they have quite a few weapons, and I just don't think Trevor Lawrence is is that good of a quarterback. And that's that's my take on it. That has really always been my take, and uh, and I don't think it's going to change. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is really backed up by some of the stats. I mean, even if you look, the Jaguars are the head of the AFC South, South right now, but when it comes to the points that they've forced, they're actually third in their in their own division. I mean, their offense is, obviously, they've had several games where they're getting, you know, a field goal and a touchdown. Like, there's just not a lot of offensive success there. And I think the Jaguars got to be real concerned looking down at the Texans. And even the Colts, the Colts actually lead the division in points forced. The Colts can put up some points. And they look at those, those teams and they say, oh, I don't know if our offense can and keep up with those right now which is which is crazy to think about but it seems like you know some of the numbers support what you're saying so one more quick interjection here uh, we're gonna do a quick little player a player b i know you've seen these have no graphics for this so if you're listening just pretend there's a graphic if you're watching pretend there's a graphic um so player a passed for uh 2120 yards nine touchdowns six interceptions with a passer rating of 89.3 Player B, same amount of passing yards, 14 touchdowns to five interceptions compared to the 9-6, to six, and a passer rating of 93.7 compared to the 89.3. Player one is Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, nine touchdowns, six interceptions, player rating of 89.3. Any guesses on who player B is with 14 touchdowns, five interceptions, and a pass rating of 93.7? Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. Is, yeah, I was going to say that is, that is Baker case. Mayfield. You so were if you're looking, stats and I thought, oh, this is it. If, if when you're when you're this is again, <laughs> this is the it. narrative around the NFL, and this is where you kind of get lost in fantasy. You get lost in the name value of some of these guys, and you're like, you write them off, you write them off, and this is why you always have to kind of be, you have to constantly be sifting through the data. Like, don't always just go into like what people are feeding you on ESPN because that's going to be a slippery slope. But you dig into the data and you find out like Baker Mayfield is having like just double the year like it's not even close to what trevor lawrence is doing and but the narrative is the narrative right like you know baker mayfield is always he can't win he can't do this and that well guess what if you would have baker mayfield on your team or trevor lawrence you'd probably be in a much better situation um than if you just kept trying to go with sarah jessica parker every week i don't think i would i think i think he is nothing more than a matchup dependent quarterback which is fair to say for a lot of quarterbacks at this point but i 
I don't trust him. I don't trust his team. I, I think on any given week, it's ETN's team and not Sunshine's. And I think that um, it's a cloudy future for him because I'm I'm not buying into the, the Trevor Lawrence narrative here. Yeah, especially with the weapons, man. I mean, you can look at quarterbacks like Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, prototypically you see being the future stars of the league. Uh, and you say, ah, oh, well, you know, their team's just not there yet. They don't have the weapons around him yet for him to really perform. Trevor Lawrence has got weapons, dude. I'm, at this point in time, there's yeah. not really an excuse. This offense, you know, we we even talked about in the, in the preseason, you know, I didn't expect them to go win the Super Bowl or anything, but I expected this offense to be one that should be reckoned with, and it has not turned out that way. And you you really do have to put a lot of that blame on Trevor Lawrence, especially after the coaching change. There's They're kind of out of excuses there in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. All right. We got to take a moment to celebrate, gentlemen, because take a deep breath. The Europe games are over. No longer do we have to wake up at 7 a.m. to watch the Patriots score six points. It's going to be awesome. Now now we just get regular noon and after football, which is so exciting. Um, But I wanted to talk about this game specifically to talk about Mac Jones because he was benched yet again. He's been benched several times throughout his career, but he always claws (laughs) his way back. He always gets back in the starting lineup. Yeah, so – is, th- is this the final straw? I mean, when, when they're going down to try and win this game, he has an easy touchdown pass that he just underthrows by like 14 yards, like just not even close to his receiver. And then <laughs> you see the coaching staff say, well, I don't care that you've played this entire game and Bailey Zappi has taken zero snaps. We need a drive to go win the game, and we're putting the ball in the hands of Bailey Zappi. Um, that, to me, speaks volumes about the mindset of this organization. And I think we might have seen the last of Mac Jones uh, starting the game. Did they leave him in Germany or did he come back? That's, no, I think yeah, he's, I don't know. I think I'll have he's to still reach there. out to my sources. My German sources. Have left them. Also, I, had I known if like winning World War II, we'd have to go back and show them this crappy football and me wake up at bad times, I would have just been like, <laughs> let's reconsider all things. Had I known like it was going to end with this, but I think you're right. I think Mac Jones. I mean, everybody. It's one of those. We talk about this all the time. What are these coaches looking at? Like, it's very obviously not the answer. I know they don't have very many other options, but like that. And I think Jesus. that's that's really the problem here is what other options do the Patriots have? Bailey Zappi's still not good. Alan, you and I were in Vegas last year when we watched this whole conundrum unfold for the Patriots, where Zappi was in, and then or uh, Mac Jones was in, and yeah. then they put Bailey Zappi in. This has been going on for over a year, so. This yeah, falls how did on. You not address this. Thank you. How did you not address it in the offseason? That's what I don't understand. And it's very, very. It's got to be. I'm not a Patriots fan. I will never root for the Patriots. But if you are a Patriots fan, it's got to be very disheartening because this team has zero identity at all. There's nothing. There's no person you can hang your hat on and say, when we need a play, this is the guy we're going to give it to. They have nothing. They have no one. Their team is overall pretty damn mediocre. You have Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott, so take your flavor of the week at running back there. Juju is like the only wide receiver that comes to mind for me, and it's just. And then your quarterback's terrible, so I don't know where they go from here. But I'm not excited for the Patriots, and I don't really see where they go to even make themselves somewhat relevant in the coming years. So speaking of this identity crisis, I mean the blame's got to be put on someone. We said a couple episodes ago, Bill Belichick is unfireable. Is that still true? And even if it is still true, what's the over-under that he is the Patriots head coach to start next season? 
It's funny that you asked this because I actually made a graphic today that's going to post. This is a little teaser for everybody who's listening or watching, but I made a graphic that's actually going to come out tomorrow about Bill, Bill Belichick and his record since uh, Tom Brady has left the organization. And he's under 500, I can tell you that. And I asked the same question because I think that's that's something that it's almost kind of uncomfortable when you think about it, right? Like, why on God's green earth would the Patriots ever move on from Bill Belichick? And, and I, I, the only thing that's keeping him secured at all, as far as I can think of, is because of his previous successes. But you know what? That was three years ago. Tom Brady hasn't been with the, the Patriots since 2020, and they haven't been good since Tom Brady's left. They've had a couple competitive years, but overall, they really haven't done a whole lot. I am in the camp that if I was a Patriots fan, I'd be looking towards the future. And that's where I'm at. Because yeah. uh, while I want to sit there and say Bill Belichick is a good coach. I think he was a good coach. And I don't think that they're ever going to find, obviously no franchise is probably going to find the success that, that they had with Tom Brady, but I don't think that they're going to find that with him as a head coach. The the Bill Belichick way, though, you know, you, you hear that being said often, the Belichick way. You see all these coaches that have gone to other places and tried to implement the Belichick way. And how's that worked out for Josh McDaniels? How's that worked out for any other coach that has gone on and left Bill Belichick. They haven't found success because that's not the way that the NFL works anymore. It might have worked ten years ago. The, off, the, yeah. the NFL is different now. Yeah, I think I think there's 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 it's totally nuanced too. And I think one of the I think if there is a thing that's going to get Belichick fired, it's mainly because of his drafting, like his inability to actually draft players. I think there was a 2022 graphic I saw, and there was like two players that are even like still on the team of like these nine guys they had drafted that year. And like, that's, what's going to get you fired. Like if you can't draft, if you, cause what you need to be able to sell and these coaches have to be able to sell is hope. Well, and he's the GM a, too. I just, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but he not yeah. only is he the head coach, he is also the GM of the Patriots. That's what so I'm if saying. Anybody doesn't that's know that. That's what's going to get wanted him to fired. blanket that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's going to get him fired. Not necessarily the coaching because every coach can be like, Hey, I can only cook with what I got the ingredients I have, you know, but he's giving himself the ingredients and those aren't working and he can't sell hope. Like what hope do you have? The, 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 the best players that are, if you're looking at hope for the Patriots, the best players on this Patriots team right now, like in the future, aren't on this team right now. Like, yeah. it's somebody else. And so who's going to do that? And do you have faith in Bill Belichick to still do that? I, I, don't. I don't know. I think there's going to be a mutual separation at the end of the year. I think they're, he's going to step away and they're going to be like, cool. Yeah, 100%. And the other thing that comes to mind here is, you know, even if he wasn't the GM, which I think is probably, like you said, the strongest argument for removing him at this point. But even if he wasn't the GM... Bill Belichick could be the greatest coach in the world. The The difference or the, the, the key is we haven't seen it recently. And sometimes an organization just needs to be shaken up. And I think that's where they're at right now where, you know, maybe it's not his coaching fault, but this organization needs a major shakeup and that starts with the head coach. So I, I agree with you. I think he's gone after this year. Um, before we transition, one quick thought. There was another coach that went through this similar situation where, the the organization won, needed a like, shakeup. Super Bowls with a quarterback no, who's fifty years old. No. <laughs> no, 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 just a shakeup. It was a shakeup they needed, and it was like a mutual parting of ways. And he went somewhere else and found success, and that was Andy Reid. The Eagles at the end of his tenure, they he couldn't get it done. It was hard to sell hope. He needed a shakeup. He was a good coach. It was just 
you just kind of run out of things and things don't quite work out that way. So even if he is out, I would expect him to land somewhere else. And I mean, I think he could potentially continue. If like, he I don't wants wanna... to. And if he wants to, yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't... Let me look at how old Bill... He's not a young old. sprout. Uh, and with his guess, kind of 39. resume... He's 39. <laughs> 30, he's 71. Close. Like, there's a real chance that he's just... He's, he's done with football and he just becomes a... Maybe somebody you give a phone call to when you need some advice. The old sage sitting on the sideline. But... I think there's a very realistic possibility he's he retires after the, this year, or has a mutual parting of ways, and he uh, he's done with football. He's 71 years old. Like he's an older guy. He's not Pete Carroll, but Pete Carroll's still running up and down I the sidelines throwing 50-yard balls. I think Pete Carroll balls. is also 71. I think they're the same age. Are they? Well, they're definitely sure. not physically the same. <laughs> yeah, Pete, Pete Carroll. Looks like he's about Pete to Carroll could run a marathon. Bill Belichick looks like he just drank half a bottle of tequila and showed up, and he's just angry and just <laughs> frustrated, which is understandable looking at this team. But all right, let's, uh, Scotty. I'm just going to hand the reins off to you. Go ahead. It's Chiefs talk. Yeah, Chiefs talk, bro. In the bye week, that's how good the Chiefs are. They're winning the NFL in the bye week. We teased this a little bit at the beginning. Um, Alan, me and you. Let's let's you know. Oh for, yeah, let's for <laughs> let's reel someone else in okay. here. For so lack of Lack of a better term, I want to circle jerk with you, Alan, about the Chiefs, like usual. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs huh. are among the biggest winners for the week uh, because uh, look at these other teams in the AFC. Ravens, lost. Bengals, lost. Chargers, lost. Jags, lost. The Chiefs are entering the second half of the season with a top four defense and a top seven offense. So all of this is to say, I, I know I just wanted to come on here and brag a little bit, but I just all of this is to say, are the Chiefs in a better position right now than they were at this point in the season last year? And mainly I ask that question because of the defense and because of we know the upside of this offense. We haven't seen it yet. We know the upside. If they are able to make steps in the right direction on offense, now with this new weapons of defense, are they in a better position than they were in 2022, the year they won the Super Bowl? Well, it's the old Tom Brady method of winning Super Bowls. You just have like a ridiculously good defense and you just hold it together. Even the even the Super Bowl they won against the Rams, what was it like ten to three or some stupid ass thing? Like it's not like they were lighting it on fire. Um and so I think if you if you look at the Chiefs um team overall, you can I think there's a lot of things to love. Still a little bit perplexed by the offense, but the defense being as good as they are, it's really the only reason they're they're in first. Like the defense is the reason why. And that's something that Mahomes has never had in his entire career with the Chiefs is having a super dominant defense that can just go take over. And he doesn't have to go be Superman. He doesn't have to play lights out all the time. And I think that's where for any team, if you have a super talented quarterback, and I bring up Tom Brady because this is where it's applicable, is if you have a super talented quarterback, he's a Hall of Famer. If he has this really good defense, that's scary because now he doesn't even have to be perfect. And a lot of these guys, they almost have to play perfect. Like Josh Allen, like sometimes has to well, play perfect. Financially, they also have to play perfect because they're demanding such a high. It, Tom Brady was a little different towards the end because he ended up taking pay cuts to be able to afford the talent. But like Mahomes ain't cheap. Mahomes is not but a this, cheap quarterback. But this isn't new. They're in the middle of paying him. And no, I understand that. This. But like it, that's where I think, and I'm I'm interested to see, and only time will tell. But like. As his career progresses, will it be more Tom Brady-esque where it's we'll just, you know, suffer through with these half-assed talents that are the Chiefs wide receiver room, but because we have a decent defense that can keep us competitive and keep us protected, 
all that Mahomes needs to do is do the little magic every you know once a quarter, and we win. So like, and I think that's that's. I don't think that's a trend, but I think it's certainly a possibility for future success. To be honest yeah. with you, well, and it just goes to show how good of a job the front uh, the front office has done because they recognize obviously Mahomes isn't cheap. So what do you do? You got to draft young players. They focused on the defense. They focused on the offensive line. And this defense is the youngest defense in the league. Um, they are they are the youngest defense in the league and the number four defense in the league. So they obviously drafted really really well. And that's the key to success. That's what they have to do, especially with this offense, you know, struggling in comparison to to years past. Um, but that's enough of that. I'm done. Well, I'm done before we move off that, I would just I want to just very quickly antidotally state that. Alan said he wanted no part of of this conversation, and the first thing you did was drag Alan into the conversation. <laughs> so I just wanted to point that out because oh. in our converse, our pre planning of the show, Alan said I'm going to watch from the sidelines as you do the Chiefs thing, and then you said Alan, why don't you come in here and do this Chiefs thing with me? So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, well, once again, MVP, bro, marketing genius. I'm never mm-hmm. alone. Also. Also, you got you got slaps to talk about the Chiefs, even when he said he didn't want to. So, hey, all the way around. I, your job. I did state one thing. Win, win, win. Yeah, I guess. Um, but let's talk about the Commanders and the Seahawks for a second. There are a couple fantasy relevant things that I think are important to note. Um, first, and this is most obvious, uh, Brian Robinson is just a bell cow. I, I mean, there's just no doubting it. The beginning of the season, we talked a little bit about. Okay, maybe you you know. Robinson's obviously going to get the majority of the groundwork, but Gibson could be heavily involved in the passing game. Um, and that's just not happened because uh, Brian Robinson not only dominated the groundwork, but he also led the team in receiving this week. So he is very involved. He's a good asset to own. Um, but the big question that I have here is uh, Charbonnet for the Seahawks. You know, the we, Charbs? The, the Charbs. We uh, talked before the season, you know, people were kind of concerned about Kenneth Walker and his his usage and whether or not Charbonnet would come out here and carve out a significant role. We haven't really seen that, but in the last couple games, you know, he's gotten a handful of touches and he looks good. In this last game, he he passed the eye test with flying colors. So now I'm a little bit concerned. Are they going to start working him in? You know, Pete Carroll is known for his meritocracy where he's like, I don't care what your name is. Great if you purpose. perform on the field, we're going to play you. And you're starting to see in small spurts Charbonnet make an impact right now. So I just want to know, is this something There's to be concerned about? There's a word for that? What? Yeah. Whatever. The, the whole explanation for the whatever word you just said. That's... Meritocracy? Meritocracy means uh, rewarding someone based on merit. And oh. so it, me- it means that he is showing something He's that so makes me think, than hey, us, he, and it's he, just... damn. This, I, think yeah. you're, I think you're underestimating. I think you're overestimating how smart we are and then how smart our listeners are so yeah, you can tune into my yeah. side podcast where it's just vocabulary talk with scotty <laughs> just goes over vocab words <laughs> but answer the question slap dog do you, do you think that this is something we need to be concerned with <laughs> i don't i don't want to say concern but i definitely i agree with you you know we talk about the eye test and that's not an analytical piece that we can sit there and say this or that we can use stats but at the end of the day he does pass the eye test he looks good and i was it, at the beginning of the year, you know, in pre-draft, and we're talking about Kenneth Walker, he was a, he was a guy that everybody was very scared to touch, rightly so, because they drafted the Charbs, as we're calling him, so early. So that kind of was indicative that they're probably going to use him. They really haven't. He's kind of just been an ancillary piece to this offense that's that's touched the ball four or five times a game, and even in this game, it was he touched the ball six times, but he did look good. 
I'm not expecting him to kind of break the scene right now. I'm not. I think Kenneth Walker is still their bell cow back. If anything, I would like to. I think even Seahawks fans would probably want this guy to to get more involved because he does look good. But I don't. I'm not. I wouldn't be starting him in fantasy football. I think he's probably a guy that, if anything, you're gonna you're gonna throw on your bench. And if Walker gets hurt or we see an uptick, then then he might enter the starting conversational piece. But another piece of the Seahawks offense I'd like to talk about very briefly is DK Metcalf. Um, he's been pretty absent, to be honest with you, for. for for fantasy purposes and really for the team. He see he's seeing a lot of targets his last few weeks, 14, 4 and then 12. So, but he hasn't really done a lot with him for fantasy output. In fact, DK Metcalf's currently wide receiver 37 on the season and Tyler Lockett is actually the leading wide receiver for this the Seahawks offense at wide receiver 24 on the year. So, you have JSN, you have Tyler Lockett, and you have DK Metcalf, and it's just become a medley of who the hell do you start this week? I think if you don't own Tyler Lockett, I think maybe you could be looking at benching DK Metcalf or JSN. Is is that fair for me to say? What do you guys think? I uh, definitely so, bench JSN. Oh, so I have a good player A, player B for us because I figured this is where this topic would go. It would dovetail into this. You son. Uh, player A, twenty one re- since week six. So this is since week six. So just over the last handful of weeks. Uh, player A, 21 receptions, 263 yards, two touchdowns. Player B, 18 receptions, 255 yards, zero touchdowns since week six. Player A, JSN. Player B, Puka Nuka. Mm. So I, you, yes, but I the, know, okay. But listen, there's a narrative But there. remember... No, but listen, I talked about this weeks ago where I said, everybody's like, JSN, he's not doing anything. There's too many mouths to feed. Don't do it. There's nothing going on here. And I think if you look at where this is trending, you just talked about DK Metcalf. What is he doing? His targets look weird. He's not really producing. He's not going anywhere. This is trending. Not saying this is going to be solid, but this is trending. And if you look after week six, and I know Cooper Cup came back, and this is not an indictment on Puka. That's not not even at all. I'm not even an indictment on Cooper. Um, no, I, I was saying on Puka, like it's not saying he's playing terribly. Like obviously the Rams have other things going on. Stafford being hurt, Cooper Cup Correct. coming back. Yeah. There's a lot of other things playing into that. But if you look at those two assets moving on from week six, and I said JSN is going to be the better asset, and I said that four weeks ago, both of you would look me in the eyes and say you are stupid. Yeah, but like that's a small, that's a vacuum. And my argument is, is Matthew Stafford hasn't been there. And Matthew Stafford is, he was Fair. a a top tier asset when it came to throwing the ball. Like he was, he, I was, he wasn't leading the league, but he was certainly in the conversation of top five for throwing the ball. Matthew Stafford hasn't been around. He's been hurt. So I, and that's been very clear for the output of both Cooper cup and Puka Nakua. So Matthew Stafford, thankfully he's coming back this week. He will be playing this week. And I think, you know, I benched, Nakua this week. I benched Nakua last week. If Matt Stafford's not playing, I'm yeah. not playing Puka Nakua because they're not they're not doing what Matthew Stafford does because Matthew Stafford's not there. So I I would still rest the season I'd rather own Puka Nakua than JSN because I think it's a crapshoot every single week which Seahawks wide receiver is going to get the the one to potentially two touchdowns that that is going to be offered to them. And and I'm not willing to take that risk. I think if anybody, it's Tyler Lockett, because even if he doesn't get a touchdown, he's the deep ball target and he's going to see some yardage there. So that's how I look at this, this wide receiver room. 
Yeah, and the other piece to this that we're missing with JSN and DK is Geno Smith, who we saw him last season outperform all expectations. And this season for, you know, just using fantasy stats as a measure, uh, he's averaging 14.4 points per game, right? He's quarterback 18 on the year. He is not performing as consistently as he was last season, and obviously that is limiting the opportunity for these wide receivers. And JSN, to me, is still third in the pecking order in this offense. So you're you're talking about the, the third guy in the pecking order on an offense that is inconsistent this season. Uh, I'm not excited about it. I'm, I'm not starting JSN. I'll keep track. I'll keep track. From week six on, who finishes higher, JSN or No, Pookie just from Nuki? here on. Just, just No, not even that. I'll just look at the Seattle wide receiver room. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. And look, I'm not rooting for the kid to do bad. I'm not. But No, I just think I, it's trending. I think it's trending in a direction. Like, I hear you. I understand that. I think everybody understood that before we drafted this year. They have, three really, they have two really good wide receivers that are mainstay. I just think the, the teams evolve. You see DK. You see there's, there's just trends, and I would like to see if this trends out to where jsn's usage goes way up well, well I, I think all jsn owners would be hoping for that what Thank i you. hoped for this weekend and it came true <laughs> you see this guys this is my cardinals hat you see the flag back there i've decided for the rest of the year every time the cardinals win i'm gonna hang that flag up on monday's episode so we won this week this was my super bowl gentlemen this was the week that i was so excited for for numerous reasons uh kyler murray came back so if anybody uh, did not watch the game, K1 was out there and he looked he looked healthy. I will say that he made some errors and did not look like the top tier K1 of late, but he looked healthy as far as running the ball. He looked like uh, the ACL was not bothering him in that way, which was great. And uh, I think that for the rest of the season, I, it's just going to kind of be get him back into the groove of things. He hasn't played football in a long time, so it's been almost a year. It's been over a year since he's played football, so... I was happy to see it, but what I was even more happy to see was that we beat the car, or the uh, Falcons. Excuse me. Fuck you, Arthur Smith. You piece of shit. I'm so glad that we beat you guys. And uh, this was I was this was the one game. I'm like, please do not lose to Arthur Smith. And we didn't. We won this game and a, a uh, go ahead field goal at the very end. So I have to ask you guys the questions. There's a couple questions, but first and foremost. Arthur Smith has kind of been on the hot seat for a couple weeks now. I have very obviously I have my thoughts on Arthur Smith, and I think he's a a, a piece of shit that should get fired right away. But for you guys, as people who don't feel so passionate about that, does Arthur Smith have some real concern? And like, could by the end of the week we see Arthur Smith just lose his job because he just lost to the Cardinals, who are statistically the worst or worst team in the NFL? Um, it's definitely a concern. I don't know that it will happen, um, but again, I've been beating this drum all season long. But the 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 Falcons on paper look like they should be so good at football, um, and obviously the quarterback concerns are are a big part of it. But you know they have so many weapons here, and Arthur Smith just can't seem to figure out how to put it together. And I gave him a lot of grace because this front office didn't address the quarterback concerns. And it's like, okay, that's a very obviously important piece. And you're not allowing all of these weapons to flourish like they otherwise would, but enough games have gone by now and, you know, losing over the last couple of weeks is a huge indictment on Arthur Smith. So I would not be surprised if we see him out of a job uh, in short order. So here's the thing. The, the problem is they're in the NFC South. 
And so if you're looking for Arthur Smith to get fired, the reality of it is they're a game out of they're well, a game and a half out of first, not looking at tiebreakers. Even though they've lost three in a row, they're one, they're they yeah, they're they've lost three in a row. They're still only like a game and a half out. <laughs> their end their end of the schedule, which doesn't look too terrible on paper, because they get the Saints twice, they get the Colts, they get the Buccaneers, they get the Panthers, they get the Bears, they get the Jets. Those are all games that could go either way. Like they could figure out and stumble their way into winning a good number of those games. And some of those obviously have direct divisional implications. They could actually win this division. Not saying they're going to, but, okay, but do you fire a guy that stumbles his way into winning the division? Or do you say long term? I think what I, I don't think you know yet because they still have an opportunity in front of them to win their division. If they go to the playoffs, does Arthur Smith get fired in the offseason? I don't think you can. If they don't go to the playoffs, does Arthur Smith get fired at the end of the season? I think, I think the chances uh, are shoot up astronomically. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I think you're just waiting. I think if you're uh, anti Arthur Smith fan like yourself, um, we joked it's the Ar- it's the Arthur Smith shit. Bowl every week. So who gets to play in it next? The Saints get to play in the Arthur Smith Bowl. You don't want to lose the Arthur Smith. Um, if I... they they have to keep losing, but right now they're in this they're in such a shitty division overall that they have the opportunity to still win it <laughs> so it's like it makes it, me sad like it makes me so sad for falcons fans too because i know falcons fans fucking hate this guy i think most people hate this guy because he's just like a he reminds me of a janitor that just walked his way into being a head coach like he just kept finding opportunities was just given opportunities and this is where it's gotten him and he, but he just doesn't even have the grace or understanding to know that he shouldn't be there he thinks that he deserves to be there and he doesn't he's a terrible fucking head coach he's an idiot and i have no respect for him and i want him to get fired now <laughs> i will say this he did use Bajan robinson this was the Bajan robinson breakout game so while i'm sitting here and the hatred flows through my brains for this incompetent moron. He finally used Bajan Robinson a little bit this week, and I think a lot of people were really happy about that. He went 22 for 95 and a touchdown, was also involved in the passing game, and uh, congratulations. You found out that you had the best running back in the draft this last year. You didn't really use him, and this is the first game that he actually saw a decent amount of touches. So I still think he's a piece of shit. I still think he only has four brain cells, but he managed to use one of those brain cells to use his running back effectively. But they, yeah, and he put him in on punt returns. He put <laughs> he put Bajan on uh, punt returns. Like why? Whatever. He I really? guess he's, he's getting the ball. Yeah, they put him in for punt returns. He only he only had one for eight yards. But like, it's like he's confused. Like seriously, somebody needs to sit him down with a copy of Madden. I'm happy to do this for Arthur Smith. I'm happy to sit him do down. That. With I'll a copy of Madden, I will explain to him how offenses work. I don't know if he knows. I will explain to him how plays work and how you set plays up and how you get guys lathered up in the game. Like, I, I, I will walk him through that if that will help him because right now, like, it still seems off. Like, yes, he kind of figured it out, but we'll see if he can do it next week. But can we please take doubt it. Robinson off of punt returns? I, well, and, and to add more fuel to the fire, he was quoted just recently saying that Tyler Algier is maybe one of the best short yardage backs in the game. And then someone went and pulled the stats of short yardage plays between Algier and Robinson and Robinson, uh, far outperformed Algier in terms of efficiency. <laughs> so he's like, he's saying these things that have no basis in reality at all, which, you know, you know, of course is par for the course. You didn't let him finish. He said Algier is one of the best, but 
Bijan Robinson is better. Like he was, he didn't continue <laughs> yeah, this further than the statement. Yeah, they just yeah, cut it, it was off. like he was going to keep going. He was going to list everybody in the NFL who was best. That's all he was doing. <laughs> all right. Well, I think for the rest of the season, we're going to be on Arthur Smith uh, burn at the stake watch because that's where he deserves to be. I hate that man. I think he is a complete joke, and I I want to do nothing more than just fucking hold him by his neck. And take an electric razor and shave that stupid looking fucking mustache right off his face because he doesn't well, even wear it well. He did shave his mustache and then he let it immediately grow back. There was yeah, like a but it like, looks like stubbly, <laughs> nasty mustache. Like it, it, you either do it or you don't, bro. He's he's confused God. even about facial hair. He yeah, doesn't know he just... what he needs to do. <laughs> That's the worst when you when you shave and you're in the in between stage. If you're like growing it out, like you almost need to wear a sign that says like I'm growing this out, like work in progress, because <laughs> yeah, otherwise it me. does look. It looks super rapey. No, and that's what he looks like. I hate that man. All right. Arthur Smith is rapey. <laughs> the title of the episode. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing. As much as I hate, hate, hate Arthur Smith, I just think he's the worst. A man I love. His name is Sir Daniel Campbell. I think he should be knighted by uh, the queen or the pope or whoever does the knighting. He should deserve to be knighted, and I love him. And somebody has come here today. Somebody who I never thought would come here to the podium today for an apology. So I will leave you with that. Whoever would like to step up and apologize, now is your time. Alan, you got any apologies to make? No, I don't freaking fold under pressure. You stand strong. <laughs> you talk shit until it's... One of my greatest attributes is I will argue something even if I know I'm wrong. I will just keep going because I That's have the wherewithal in me. attributes? Yes, I will fight and Being I will argue. Being stubborn is the greatest I attribute. You, I just told you in college I got banned from ESPN message boards because I was arguing something. I don't even remember what it was. It was for like some random college football team. So I'm just more upset that you're you're folding. But go ahead. I'm well, it, it might make you feel a little bit better to know that um, I, I framed it as an apology uh, for comedic purposes. I still think Dan Campbell, I mean, we're, I'm going to talk about one game. Uh, and Dan Campbell has a, a long history of pissing me off. But so one like game, it. in this one game, Dan Campbell did impress me. I Thank admit you. it. And the reason for that is because all of my concerns for Dan Campbell, almost all of my concerns for Dan Campbell, were addressed in this game. I think this was his best coach game of his career, bar none. Um, and you know, starting with Jameer Gibbs, obviously fantasy managers all over the place have been dealing with this frustration of Jameer Gibbs looking like such an explosive back and being limited in his usage. Uh, Montgomery has made that conversation more difficult because he's also been very, very efficient. So they've used him well. But in this game, Jameer Gibbs finally led the backfield in touches, right? He was utilized on the ground. He was utilized through the air. And as a result, both Jameer Gibbs and Montgomery had great days, and they made this offense look awesome. And I think that that's a key there. You want to have this change of pace where you, you're saying to the defense, hey, we've got two running backs who could both kick your ass, and you never know which one's going to come out of the huddle. And I think they needed they needed that mentality to start the season, and now they're finally getting into it. So congratulations for finally coming around on that to Dan Campbell. I appreciate that. Um, maybe the biggest... Uh, the biggest thing that could impress you about Dan Campbell is the way that he has Jared Goff playing football. This, That's Jared, a fair thing to say. Jared Goff is playing the best football of his career right now, and you have to attribute that, at least in part, to coaching. 
right? He's played for several coaches. You've never seen him play like this. So I think Dan Campbell does deserve some credit for that. Um, and another big thing that I've always criticized Dan Campbell for is his risk ass- assessment because he goes for it on fourth down a ton, but it he seems like it, it seems like in the games, like there are some situations where like, oh, it's Dan Campbell. Of course he's going to go for it on fourth down and they punt the ball at like the 50 yard line. And then there are some games where they're going for it on fourth down, like inside of their own 20 yard line, just for fun. I don't know why. In this game, Dan Campbell made all of the right decisions on fourth down. They got a couple fourth down conversions. They were the right calls. Uh, He was consistent with his aggressiveness, which is something that I think has been lacking. And of course, uh, you know, not that I know of anyway, but I never saw him cry. So that's a good, you know, that's a plus in his direction because he does cry a lot. I don't think he cried this last week, so that's good. So again, this is the best coaching job of his career. I'm an honest man. I've said a lot of bad things about Dan Campbell. I think he deserves some credit in this one. I'm so. I still didn't hear an apology. Maybe I'm sorry for the way I've treated you, and hopefully we can mend this relationship moving forward. Okay, you're cutting out. I I don't know. (laughs) Hold on, Scott. I just asked you one question. We can move. We can move on from this. We can move on. Why an apology? No, not not an. Why an apology now when they beat a four and four, a 500 football team with a bad defense, and they had to win on a walk off field goal, which is fine. They won. A win's a win. But why is this the better one and not the week one in Arrowhead? Like, and not well, that's because you're a Chiefs fan. No, and not. But that's what I'm saying. Like, not saying he didn't deserve. He didn't have a good game. But I feel like I would say the week one win in Kansas City was a better coaching job than the, the week one win in Kansas City was a gift handed to him by all of Kansas oh, City's pass God. catchers. <laughs> and we we all know that. And in fact, there's there's tape of even Hunter saying that that the chi- the Chiefs handed that game away. And that's again not to take anything away. They did enough to win, which is that that's what it that's what matters. But this game it, it has nothing to do with who they played. It has everything to do with Dan Campbell's performance as a head coach. And I think you know the combination of making the right calls on fourth down, the combination of playing Jameer Gibbs the way that he's supposed to be played, and you know the long term uh, the long term implications of Jared Goff playing his best football. I think all of those culminate into he deserves a, a congratulations on this one. Thank you. As, as Dan Campbell's, uh, his left-hand man that he doesn't know I'm there for, um, I do want to say, as his biggest supporter and his jerker, that's what, that's my title, the jerker. I just jerk mm-hmm. him. Um, I appreciate that. I, I will say this, and then, Alan, I want your question. I don't think you can ignore the Jared Goff piece because that is that is truly something that is very interesting and honestly kind of incredible. Jared Goff has been very lackluster most of his career. The Rams, in fact, traded Jared Goff to the Lions, and they got Matt Stafford. So they did this trade. Matt Stafford obviously took them to the Super Bowl. But, like, there is a possibility, and I I don't think the Lions are quite there yet, but they're definitely in playoff conversation. Like, they're a playoff contending team, and any given Sunday, who knows what the hell's going to happen. But for Jared Goff to go in there and then once again find new life as a quarterback, he's playing really well. I have to, I have to tip my hat to him, and I'm, I am impressed with what they've, the, the juice they've been able to squeeze out of Jared Goff. Quick question for you: Do you now? I'm going to read. I'm, I'll read the schedules here in a second. Um, do you think the Lions get the one seed in the NFC? And let me read I, you the I, schedules. Here's the Lions' upcoming schedule: Bears, Packers, yes. Saints, Bears. So here, I'll start over. Bears, Packers, Saints, Bears, Broncos, Vikings, Cowboys, Vikings again. Whereas the Eagles, they have the Chiefs coming up on Monday Night Football. I'll be at that game. Shout out me. Stud of the week. Um, Chiefs, Bills, 
49ers, Cowboys, Seahawks, and then they end it with the gauntlet of Giants, Cardinals, Giants. So if they can get through that little stretch. I I appreciate you throwing us in the gauntlet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was joking. But if you look at those two schedules, like that's, I mean, that's, that's quite opposites. I think if the Lions can just keep their shit together and not have a Ravens episode that they had, I think they have a very real shot of grabbing the one seed just by sheer strength of schedule at this point. But I want your guys' thoughts. I know I agree with you completely. And I think that the, the important thing to note is they can't lose their glue. They need to stay stick together and continue to do what has worked for them and, and win these games. Chargers are not a good team. We know that. We know that they, on paper, have a very good team, but they continuously fail and their defense is very bad. So... Um, I'm glad they came out with the win as the pseudo Lions fan this year. I was very excited for that to continue their success. And I think that there is a certainly a a very realistic possibility that they could be the NFC. They, they could take the NFC North, which would be super cool. Like when's the last time the Lions have been good? So I'm rooting for it. I really want that to happen. And I uh, then Dan Campbell's going to promote me and I won't be the jerker anymore. So I'm really rooting for that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, let's <laughs> let's uh, let's do the mailbag segment. Wave a wire and get the hell out of here. So let's do the mail. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Mail. We got one question this week, gentlemen, and it is from Chris Bork. I believe I said that right. Sorry if I didn't. Said I'm winning by 45 points in fantasy. My opponent has Jerry Judy, Javante Williams, and Gabe Davis. How are my odds looking? I'm going to say... Everybody who's listening to this in the podcast tomorrow, you already know the answer. But we don't because it hasn't happened yet. I'm going to say your odds are pretty good. Jerry Judy, bust. Javante <laughs> is starting to find some life. And Gabe Davis, um, you just take a coin and you flip it. And you hope to God that it lands on tails and he doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're almost, you I have to pray give, for a defensive struggle. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd give you a 75% chance of winning. I mean, even if even if Jerry Judy and Gabe Davis both find the end zone, uh, you know, you're still talking about they're likely going to put up, you know, 10 to 13 points. So, I mean, they're, they're, someone's going to have to really go off for them to put you over 45. So I think you're sitting pretty. Yeah. Gabe Davis, he's probably the one I'd be most scared of because you never yeah. know what you're going to get out of Gabe Davis. Uh, waiver wires. Let's just do this thing real quick. Scotty, I will let you lead the charge here. Yeah, I want to come with uh, kind of a gross one, but with all the quarterback injuries going on, um, you know, obviously quarterbacks have been kind of a hot commodity on the waiver wire trying to pick guys up and keep your lineup intact. Um, I was looking at some stats, and I think people should be picking up Derek Carr. He's only 29% owned. Let me tell you this. Between weeks five and nine, he was a top 10 quarterback, top 10 fantasy quarterback, which is kind of surprising because it doesn't really look like it on the field necessarily, but he's playing relatively well. And I think he would have had a relatively big game this week if he didn't leave with an injury early. So, but the big reason for this is, you know, he's playing pretty decent, but their schedule to end the season and going into the fantasy playoffs is solid. They're going to play the Lions, the Falcons, and the Bucks. The Lions have the seven, are the seventh worst team against opposing quarterbacks. The Falcons are the third worst team against opposing quarterbacks. And the Bucks are the fourth worst team against opposing quarterbacks. So Derek Carr is going to have some opportunities to make some waves. If you're struggling at quarterback, I'm picking him up and adding him to the roster. Yeah, and the, I mean, the quarterback position has been a crapshoot this year, so I think it's a pretty safe thing to say to go get Derek Carr because, and I didn't ever think I'd say that, but um, 
for fantasy, he definitely could get it done for you. I brought Ty Chandler, running back for the Vikings. Alexander Madison left the game with a concussion, and the running back room for the Vikings is looking pretty bleak. The reason I bring up Ty Chandler is this. Typically, players do not return within the same week that they have a concussion. The only people who do are people who are quarterbacks because I believe that the NFL rushes them back because they don't want to play without their quarterbacks. But any other position, if they get a concussion, they usually miss the following game, and that's exactly what happened or is happening to Alexander Madison. The reason I bring up Ty Chandler is because I think he is an ancillary fill-in for this upcoming week who I would be very interested in starting. The Vikings play Denver this upcoming week, who is dead last against the run. Ty Chandler's only 15% rostered. I would be looking to grab him if at all possible. And I brought in one other running back to the table, and that being Devin Singletary. Singletary saw a career 30 touches this last week for 150 yards and a touchdown. I get that this is a split split backfield between him and Damian Pierce, but Damian Pierce has been ruled out these last two weeks, and Singletary is getting a majority of the looks. If Damian Pierce does not play again this week, Devin Singletary, especially with the way this offense has been clicking, is somebody that I would potentially be starting as an RB2 if needed. He's 54% rostered. I would not hate grabbing him if you are looking for a running back. Uh, And I brought one. We talked about him earlier. That is Sir Noah Brown. He's about 30% Mm. owned across all the leagues. Um, the real main reason I brought him, not for like super longevity, because it, a lot of it is target share based. But if you look at his upcoming schedule, he's obviously jiving with CJ Stroud, but they get the Cardinals, the Jaguars and the Broncos coming up. And you don't know what state the Broncos are going to be in. If Stroud keeps playing like he is, I could see the possibilities of uh, Brown continuing to be that number one for him that look the trend of yards that he's getting. So if you're looking for some sol- solidarity in your patchwork flex position as a lot of us are and you're you're sifting through i think noah brown could be a a good ad for you this week if you're unsure i'm gonna bring one more this was ad-libbed and alan's gonna laugh hysterically at me but michael wilson wide receiver for the cardinals um if you're in deeper leagues go grab him because he he was he out targeted hollywood this last week kyler murray is back and kyler murray threw the ball 32 times so is an, an ancillary piece to sit on your your bench, and it's either him or Rondell Moore could be the wide receiver too for this team. Just a Cardinals segment, bro. I'm I'm not allowed to talk about the Chiefs, but we got to talk about Cardinals players every right. fucking hey, week. They're just on the waivers because we're bad. But <laughs> Kyler Murray is back, and if they throw the ball 32 times a game, somebody's gonna have to catch it. So I, I don't know if we properly praised how awesome Kyler Murray looked. And like you expected some rust, but that dude looked like he was ready to kill it he did like I honest to god I am I was on I was in the camp as a Cardinals fan I wanted to sell Kyler Murray I wanted to be done with this whole bullshit like him playing Call of Duty in the wee hours of the morning I'm I was tired of of the attitude I was tired of everything but I think and I don't know this and this is just me totally make I could be making all this up but I think there's some fire under this young man. And I think like him being hurt and seeing all these fans just out on him and being like, fuck him, move on. Like he wants to come out and prove something. And so I'm back in on Kyler Murray. I'm back in. I don't have a choice as a Cardinals fan. Like what else am I supposed to do here? So I'm going to ride Kyler Murray. I'm going to support him and I'm going to root for him. And I'm going to root that we keep him around. And then we get Marvin Harrison uh, Jr. as our wide receiver one in this upcoming draft. Cause we still have a pretty favorable top five realistic chance for, uh, pick this upcoming year, and we also have the Texans first round pick. So mm. we're gonna make some moves, and I'm all in on Kyler Murray. Who do you guys think is gonna win? 
in tonight's game, Broncos Bills. I think we were wrong last week. I don't remember what the game was. But I was oh, correct. I think you Matt, Matt was right. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah, it was trending yeah. that way Stun though because week. because uh, Herbert didn't do anything. Like that Chargers offense really didn't do anything. It was just Abysmal. the Jets again an inability to score points, which yeah. is important in football. I'm gonna take the Bills. <laughs> Dibs. What about you, Alan? <laughs> uh, give me the Bills. They're pissed off. Yep, I'm riding with you this week. I'm going with the Bills as well. I hope Sean Payton. I hate him too. There's some coaches <laughs> I really despise, and Sean Payton's another one. So uh, I think yeah, Sean Payton's weird. a scumbag piece of shit. I don't think Arthur Smith is a scumbag. I think he's too stupid to know what that word is. So, but I think Sean Payton knows what it is, and I think he's a scumbag. Hmm. And that's it. That's all the time we have. Hey, everybody, appreciate you joining us here at Leather Brains. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, if you uh, could hit the subscribe button wherever you're watching us, whether it be YouTube, um, Twitter, Instagram, wherever, or TikTok, we're everywhere. Go check us out. Hit the subscribe button. Takes you 30 seconds and means the world to a small podcast such as ourselves. I appreciate all of you guys uh, listening to us, and I appreciate you gentlemen for doing this with me. We'll do it again next Monday, except for Alan, who will be at the Eagles-Chiefs game. So enjoy your time there, my friend. You will have the uh, some social logins, so we expect to see some pictures from all the all the other brains. Want to see some some Monday night action because that's going to be a good game. I got a task for you. I got some homework for you since you're going to the game. Um, I think Chiefs fans and Eagles fans have this weird relationship where you'd kind of expect us to hate each other, given the fact that we just played in a Super Bowl. Um, but I think the Kelsey brothers have brought our fan bases together, oh, wow. and I'm interested huh. to see how they feel about the Chiefs as an organization. So if you find some Eagles fans, maybe ask them, well, hey, does does the brotherly love bring us together as as franchises? I can do Not that. the brotherly yeah, shove. Don't ask them that because they'll be like, you want me to shove you? We are. Well, you know, they might. Well, two people that were taken with us are big Eagles fans, and I can wholeheartedly say that what you're saying is true, Scotty. They do not have any ill will it's more of this thing of like we know we're dominant we're two dominant teams and we have we have fun doing it so i think it's and I, in the same boat as a chiefs fan i started this season i i said obviously i want the chiefs to to win it all but if they don't i i think i'm rooting for the eagles i i would really like that eagles team to get a win and i i think that that is kind of a mutual feeling between the two fan bases it's it's a love fest i'll report I think, back i think both fan bases are toxic so just gonna throw Typical. that out there. Well, that's, that's also a surprising. common thread. That's a common thread. We know everybody hates us, and that's what both fan bases know. I don't hate you guys. I I think I hate Chiefs fans more than I hate Chief, the Chiefs as a team. Because like genuinely, I do like the Chiefs team, but I think the majority of Chiefs fans are unbearable. Mm-hmm. So it makes me not like the Chiefs winning. as much. No, it's not it. It's the attitudes that you bring, such as that one. All right, that's it. That's all the time we got. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys. We are out. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you tune into our new releases every week on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and check out leatherbrains.com for all of your fantasy football needs. And remember, Brainiacs, a championship should be more than a fantasy.